across the nation. Raging Review. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that team ready? Who's that team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raisin Review Podcast. Josh, Nick, Jerry. We got a little special treat for you today. Always fun to talk to people that actually wore the vermilion and white. We're going to do that in just a minute. First, we're going to get Nick in here. Nick, how are things, buddy? Good, man. Been busy. Miss you guys, first of all. I mean, I know we have the group chat going on 24-7, and I'm getting, you know, texts from Jerry at 3 in the morning. But I see Jerry uh, trying out the Christmas gift there. He got the lighting <laughs> fixed. Look at him. He looks like a professional. You can actually see me. That's, the, that's what's great about it. You can actually see me now. I don't know what's if that's up, a great thing or not, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk right into that. No, it's it's so great to be back here. Uh, I know it's in for February. But it's good to be back and looking forward to talking some Cajun sports. Really exciting. It's going to be fun. And ladies, just in case you're wondering, Jerry is taken. Man's married. No, there's absolutely no reason to inquire. We understand. We understand the pull. Uh, anyway, we're going to get to Connor Kemple. Uh, it's always fun, like I said, to talk to players. And we'll get a little bit of a different insight on how we view the game and how we experience our fandom. We'll talk to Kemp about those things. Before we do that, let's talk about our sponsors. Gordon McKernan Injury Attorneys have been a fantastic partner since we signed with them in November. It's been a good relationship. They've uh, they've given us everything, every tool we needed to continue to grow uh, financially, uh, exposure, everything. So it's always a great thing where you can have a partnership like that that's beneficial to both the sponsor and the sponsor E, if that's a word. Uh, just want to let you guys know, Lafayette, Alexandria, Lake Charles, Monroe, Shreveport, Zachary Denham Springs, Gonzalez, Hammond, and the home office in Baton Rouge. They have offices all over. Uh, you get the G guarantee. Don't forget that. Gordon will win the case or you owe absolutely nothing. 888-532-1573 or getgordon.com, getgordon.com. Get Gordon and get it done a fantastic sponsor of the region review podcast also want to say thanks to darren doming at lafayette roofing and general contractors licensed and insured of course locally owned and operated uh, darren is a proud ul alum and rcaf supporter one of my favorite fans around the complex anytime you see him he's happy to talk raging cajun athletics with you and uh, he knows his stuff so give darren and the team at lafayette roofing a call at 337-237-7663 337 Roof. Uh, also, Patriot Steel Group. Our friend Chris Russo. You guys all know that name. A very uh, popular family around the complex. Uh, they just so happen to have their name on the baseball stadium. Uh, so they have a new venture. Chris does. Patriot Steel Group. Their team has over 100 years of combined experience in the oil and gas industry. If you want to get any more information on Patriot Steel Group, contact Brandon Gallet or Reed Barbier at 337 443 
888-888-9296 or visit the Patriot Steel Group LinkedIn page. They were founded in 2021, so they're, they are a little bit new on the scene. They do tubulars. They can provide any type of quality steel anywhere in the United States from premium alloys to carbon grade. So again, Patriot Steel Group, great sponsor of the pod. We thank them. We thank all of our sponsors uh, and actually have a couple to announce coming in 2023 as we roll along. We're going to bring in Connor, talk a little baseball, get it rolling. Uh, Kemp, it's been, it was fun to watch you play. It's fun to get to know you a little bit over the course of your career. I thought it would be a fun idea, and uh, I thought that you could shed some light on some some different questions that we may have about, you know, like, uh, 2019, 2020 time frame to now, and I thought that you would be a great guest to do that. So welcome to the pod. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Great to be here. All the way from Whitefish Bay? All the way from Whitefish Bay. Back at home now and just trying to stay warm. You know, we have the opposite problem. Uh, I think la- yesterday was 33 and today was 75, uh, which I'm, I know you probably experienced that. Yeah. And we're like, what, what, what is this? What is this weather? Yeah. I mean, here it's like zero one day and then it's seven the next. So I'd rather have your issue. No mosquitoes though. I, I think I would, yeah. I, I'm, I'm out on the mosquitoes. So anyway, just want to let everybody just a little bit of, of reminiscing here. So Kemp, Kemp came into the program at a, a transitional phase and we'll get more into that as we go along. But Kemp played in 124 games. He had a career average of 297 for the Cajuns, hit 14 bombs at 64 RBI, slugged a 471. His on-base percentage was 365 and stole 20 bases. Did a little bit of everything for the Cajuns offensively. Uh, but more importantly, I felt like he served in a, in a leadership role. And was, we referred to you kind of as one of the Deggs guys, somebody that we knew that Coach Deggs trusted uh, to, to kind of just set the tone and set the pace and, and embody what pack baseball was all about. Uh, would I be correct in that assumption? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like for me, all of the other seniors too, I think you could say the same things about the the leadership role. So yeah, I mean, I was one of them, but it was all of us. And I mean, a lot of different guys in different spots for stuff like that, but I was a hundred percent close with coach Deggs. Um, Definitely one of his guys. Got the chance to build, you know, a special relationship over my three seasons there. And, yeah, I mean, it was fun. Kemp, uh, talking about that transitional time, you came in during a really, really crucial transitional phase uh, during, you know, Coach Robes' untimely passing into Coach Daggs' takeover uh, with the program. Um, Describe that experience as well as uh, who recruited you to come down here to Lafayette and – what was, I mean, you come from, uh, coming from Wisconsin uh, to Louisiana, what was that, that attraction that brought you down here to the South? Yeah, so I was recruited by Coach Wells and Coach Talbot when I was at a junior college in Arizona. Came and visited, spent some time with Coach Robe. You know, it was, it was great. Um, left the visit knowing that this was probably the place Went home, thought about it. I took another visit after that, and I realized that wasn't it. So ended up committing, decided I was going to come down for summer school and get acclimated. I was, I was hurt at the time also, so that's another wrinkle in this. But I was going to come down for summer school and was rehabbing at home, got a phone call that Coach Robe had passed. And I want to say I was supposed to be down there in like another week or so. So I went down early for the funeral, met some of the guys, and 
you know, started this weird limbo phase of being on the team without a coach, being hurt. And then ultimately in three years, seeing it kind of come full circle, it was something I wouldn't trade. You know, you said you traveled from um, Whitefish Bay all the way to Arizona and to Louisiana. Uh, what was the attraction that brought you down here? Yeah, just the, I mean, honestly, the chance to play in front of a lot of people and, you know, the culture and the family, um, family aspects of it. I try, I try to explain it to people up here and my like closest comparison for us Wisconsin folk is Vince Lombardi for coach robe. So I, I, I always say like, you know, I committed to play for coach Lombardi and then he passed away and I, you know, I, I lucked out and we got coach Deggs and they, they don't know what that means up here, but down there, you guys, you guys get what I'm saying. So, you know, weird time. Like not every, not every college baseball player gets to say, you know, like we didn't have a coach for a month or two, you know, hats off to Dr. Maggard. He was, you know, in close contact with all of us during that time. And you know, I'm getting, it, it was just a weird thing to get, you know, a phone call from the AD, the, the school, you know, the university took care of us and made us feel like we weren't just spinning our wheels. And a couple of weeks later, there was that, introductory press conference and I was I was at that one with probably eight of the guys and I mean coach Deggs has his own style but he echoes a lot of what coach Robe um believed in and you know he he was saved by it so a lot of parallels but you know some differences also but I wouldn't I mean you, you sign up for one thing you get something else but it worked out for me and I, it was awesome so if if Deggs if Deggs continues this upward trajectory, it would be like going from Favre to Rogers. I mean, it's kind yeah. of similar. I mean, I'm trying to do my best Wisconsin here. Oh, I got one for you. Look, Vince Lombardi's great grandson is a member of our football team. So, I mean, there's a connection right there. Oh yeah. And then and and he also went to Jesuit High School where I went because Vince Lombardi went to a Jesuit college. So look, we're going to keep connecting the Wisconsin. I went, I went to a Jesuit high school too. There you go. Well, you, you, can't, you can't get through a whole episode of Raging Review without Jerry mentioning he went to Jesuit in New Orleans. So there's, we can check that off the list for today. Hey, hey, it's a brotherhood, Kemp. It's a brotherhood, right? Oh, yeah. There you go. Hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up your damn brotherhood thing. Kemp and I have the same birthday, all right? Brotherhood that. Fair enough, fair enough. I think Kemp was just born like 99. Kemp, how old are you? Oh, 97. Oh my God. I'm 25. Oh, I graduated from high school in 97. (laughs) I am elite. I'm done with this. I'm I'm out. (laughs) See, we all got gray hair, man. That's one thing that, that, uh, you know, anyway, but, uh, can't be talked about your travels, right? You're from Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. You, you played in South Mountain, Arizona. Then you come down to Lafayette to play for the Cajuns. Talk a little bit about your travel experiences, man. I mean, it sounds like you're a traveling man playing baseball. And uh, when you came to Lafayette, obviously we do things different here. This is Cajun country. Was there anything that brought any culture shock or anything that kind of stood out to you? Like, wow, these people are, are unique in their own way. I mean, just talk about your experience down here as well through uh, learning about our culture. Yeah, so, I mean, I've I've seen a lot of different places around the country. I went to Oklahoma State at a high school and then transferred to Arizona. So, Oklahoma, Arizona, Louisiana, Wisconsin. So, it's a weird combination. But culture shock, um, some in junior college going from, like, a nice big Division I school to 
like glorified high school in the best way though. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Like I loved it. So that was like a little like, Oh, we're here now. But in Louisiana, you know, I, I was blessed with great, great roommates, great teammates, you know, for every kid from Texas on the team, there's a kid from Louisiana. They're into the same, but different stuff. And then you, you got guys like me that have been everywhere that are trying to find something to cling on to with uh, the culture. So, you know, it was fun. Um, my parents, they worked in New Orleans for uh, Shell Oil for a couple of years, way back when, so before I, before I was born. So they, I, I'd been in New Orleans. They kind of prepped me on the, the more unusual stuff about Louisiana for, for, a, for a northerner like me, but... That's a nice um, way to say it. Yeah, I mean, I I love the stuff. I mean, not everybody might, but but you know, I mean, another half of it is I'm a super like adventurous eater, so like all the food. And I mean, food brings people together. The tailgates, you know, the cooking club, community service stuff, like just the community rallying around the team and us, you know, the people that wear the jerseys have to, you know, uphold that both on the field and then, you know, at these community outreach things and you know you gotta you kind of wear the jersey all the time so yeah and I'm, I'm glad you said that you're it is so very true in a community like Lafayette and especially from someone coming in from the outside we we the people of Lafayette tend to kind of shift towards those who they know their last name they know where they're from they know who they mama and their daddy is and, and it's so important that you just said that you are, you're always wearing the Jersey and you're always representing the, the culture. And that's really what Robe focused on for, for his entire career there. Um, let's talk about, well, I, got, I got one more thing actually. Yeah, go ahead. So it's, it's the, the whole culture and like uh, Lafayette thing is kind of hard to put into words, but my mom actually went, came and visited me once. And like just going around the town for a couple of days, she said like she knew why I picked here. Just like the the attitudes of the people, the the blue collar, but not I don't know. It's it's a blue collar town, but you know, they know how to they know how to have fun too. So she kind of figured out why I, you know, gravitated down here and just the people are so welcoming. And, you know, if you put your body or your time on the line for the school, like you're you're rewarded from the community. So it's just a special place. Yeah. Along those same lines, man, back when you were born, when I was a senior in high school, we had a, a hockey team that drew 12,000 in the Cajun dome. If you can imagine that there are still guys who played on those teams that have families and still live in Lafayette and their kids are playing hockey now in the Lafayette area. So that just goes to tell you, like you said, it's a very, very special place. And I think living there and growing up there, sometimes you, don't understand or appreciate how really special it is. So it's great hearing, hearing those kind words from you and, and your mom um, going back to how the team has changed over the course of the last few years. You know, you, like you said earlier, Roe passed in 2019, you were injured. 2020 happens COVID, you know, we stopped playing in the middle of the season. 2021 was a little bit weird, still trying to find the deg, really get the degs, uh, he, he, you know, bring his coaching and his program to the forefront and, and kind of struggling to make the conference tournament. And then last year, you know, we, we come off to a slow start and then we end up winning the conference and taking uh, a world series participant really as, as, as far as, as we could against them. So talk to me a little bit, how 
the team has changed over the course of your career. And what do you think was the key to that success from, from 19 when it was so much adversity in 2020, when there was so much adversity and then 2022, when they had so much success, what did you see over the course of the course of those few years that really made it uh, happen for us last year? Yeah. I just think like the, the family bonds like grew deeper, you know, over those years, like you, it's one thing to play with somebody for a year, but once you're on two years, three years with the same group, I mean, like you're, you're invested in that person's life and, you know, not every kid in the locker room, but like, you know, the, the six to eight kids you spend most of your time with, like you're, you're like their family for your, your time at school. Um, and I think, you know, there's a new coach, there's some like turnover from the year prior, not a lot of success the year prior. You know, a new coach comes in. He doesn't really know what he has. Like the the portal's not a thing, pre-COVID. So he, he comes in to probably like the worst possible situation. You know, coaching for his longtime mentor that's no longer here, and you know, face face some pushback. You know, maybe not. Um, it's not. Kids were not. You know, saying I don't like this coach. Like I'm not going to do it. You know, not really like that. Just like you know, outside voices. Um, saying stuff or you, you hear a rumor from a, the teammate of a teammate, you know, two teams back or whatever, you know, I think slowly you saw in like your year two or year one, you know, 15 games flip of a coin for most of them. Right. We were seven and eight, eight and nine, something like that. Some glimmers of like some decent baseball, but not, not a lot, not, not a good year. Right. Pandemic. You know, the, everyone goes back home, scatters. They're kind of on their own. And year two, you get a lot of guys, you know, haven't played baseball in, a, in like a calendar year almost. Meaningful, meaningful, you know, live bullet baseball. And they're coming back home, or they're coming back from home where they've done nothing but like work on themselves. And then, I mean, Coach Robe, Coach Deggs, like it's all about the team. So I think like, you know, it's not like to a man, but, you know, the mindset is I'm going to go home and like get after it, get mine. And then you come back and you realize like that doesn't really like work in the long run, like in a, in a team sport. So, you know, I mean, and there was glimpses of like really good, really good ball that year with like with uh, Spencer, especially and Cook, um, you know, guys that are still playing now. But, you know, we were always like a hit or two away or a base runner away or a a defensive play away from, uh, you know, winning those six close games or whatever. Then your three rolls around. And now the seniors have this, the kids that have been there the longest for the most part are now on year three of the pack system. So you've moved from learning it to like mastering it to being the ones that teach it. And I mean, the other, the other guys, you know, Jeff, Jeff Wilson, Tally, AP Schultz, um, I'm forgetting some, and they're gonna. I'll get a text after, but Jonathan Brandon, I'm sorry. Uh, those guys, you know, like teaching it is a whole nother ball game, and like you take a whole nother, you know, level of ownership over what goes on when you're in charge. You're not trying to, you know, stay under the radar and be the guy that is in the middle. You're trying to, you know, be the guys that are pulling from the front. And I think you need the right kids and I think you need enough time to do that. And, you know, I think we proved that we had enough of both 
at the end of last year and that there's a lot to look forward to in the future. And really, I mean, the people that we lost were contributors, but on the offensive side, not a big of a hit this year as the pitching. But I do know, I don't, I don't really know any of the, the newer guys in the team, but I know they brought in a lot of uh, solid arms. Now, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. And I think, look, they're bringing in some new arms. Obviously, it's a reloading, and not not they're not reinventing the wheel offensively this year. So you know you're going to be good offensively if we get some decent pitching. And I'm not talking elite level pitching. If we get some decent pitching in there, which I think I trust that that Seth and 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 you know uh, Wells on the on the recruiting trail did. I think we'll be in good shape. But going back to your comment about 2021 and and how in 2020 everybody went home and focused on themselves and not the team and not the pack mentality. That explains a ton for me. And you didn't just see it with the Cajuns. You saw it across college baseball because a lot of teams that were elite for so many years kind of faced that 2021, you know, step back. And now it makes sense. I never thought about it from that perspective, but you're right. Like when you have a program like a wolf plaque mentality, when being together means so much and you're out of that, and now you're focusing on you and what you could do to better yourself instead of the team, that's going to affect you in a negative way, whether you see it coming or not. So I appreciate you saying that they gave a lot of perspective into the 2021 season. Well, I think it comes like full circle now that I'm not on the team anymore that like, I appreciate some of the stuff that was taught and, you know, drilled into me over the course of three years and I know like one of the questions we'll get to is about coaching, but especially like coaching, like I see a lot of the stuff that uh, coach Deggs would not put up with for very long. And it's just like, it's fun to like, I always gauge my reaction based on what he would do. So like for the 13 year olds, I have to turn it down. But for the, like the 17 year olds, I, I give them the full, the full unleaded, um, you know, pack tough talk. So yeah, well, I think Josh, Josh well, is a, uh, a soccer coach, you're you're giving the leaded 100 of the time. There's no unleaded with you, right? Well, listen, dude, uh, I'm not the competitive one on the. I have there's there's me and an assistant, and she's ten times more competitive than I am. So I, I can be the good guy on this on this thing. But just to give a little context to the listeners, Kemp is actually doing some coaching in the high school ranks right now. So we'll get to that later um, in the in the interview. But I just wanted to give a little context to the comment. Yeah, one more thing for me, and then I'll turn it back over to Josh. So much adversity. Like you said, and I'll say it again, I, I said it earlier, but 2019, road passes, you're injured. 2020, COVID. 2021, trying to build the team back, lots of adversity. And then towards the end of 2022, it finally all came together. With you personally going through so much adversity over the course of these three years, how satisfying was it for you last year making noise in a regional tournament and, and and really kind of seeing everything blossom like it should have. What did it mean to you personally? I don't know. When I when I was on the team, I had a hard time like appreciating the stuff that happened at the time because it's always about the next game. And like, I mean, I played however many games you said at the beginning of this. There's usually another one. Like you gotta you gotta look forward and not you know dwell. Um, but now like it it feels like surreal, like the stuff that we did. And, you know, like when you're going through it, like you're, you just live it. It's not like, uh, 
it's not like a four minute like championship highlight clip on on YouTube. Like it's not that cut and dry. Like there's a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of stuff like the the country doesn't see, you know, like the diehard fans do. And there's even more stuff the diehard fans don't see um, just with the day to day, you know, like vindication. You know, it was, it was win 36 was the regional, like the, the one that clinched us the birth in the regional. And, you know, like you look, I mean, again, this is me being off the team now. You look around and, you know, for your coaches, like what does that mean for them? the guys that have, you know, given everything for you. Like, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm one now and I'm not a fraction of like the level of committed that those guys have to be, you know, just to, just to maintain their job, not to you know, go above and beyond, which all of them at UL do. But just for those guys, I mean, it's, it was my third year. Like those, some of those guys, it's not, it's your, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever. And you, you know, you don't win one every year, no matter where you are. You know, some, some schools might tell you different, but you don't. So, you know, like to be able to like write that third chapter of me and the the rest of the guys that came in right after coach Rob passed was, uh, definitely something special and, you know, a bond and a chapter that we wrote that, you know, can't be taken away from us. We're always going to be champions for, you know, the Sun Belt. So. That's a cool way to put it. We've mentioned coaching. Obviously, it's a big part of it. We've mentioned the pack mentality and player buy-in and all that stuff. These guys here, me, we grew up watching Coach Robe operate in a very similar fashion, which is why we were all pounding pavement to try to get Degs installed as the head coach when everything, you know, unfortunately happened. You know, there's a reason why those two guys built the best team in college baseball in 2014. I mean, they were very similar. They were different in ways, but... The best offensive coach in the country meets the best pitching coach in the country, and you have the best team in the country. And that's we we watched that happen. We watched the making of that team happen. We watched the the season play out and all those guys, and we got to know all those guys intimately. And it was a really cool bond, like you said earlier. What is it about Matt Deggs that players believe in? Why why is he able to get the buy in that he gets? He's I think he's just got you know like a good uh, temperature on people. He knows, he knows, you know, when you, you need a kick in the ass and he knows when you need a little, little patience and, you know, Lord knows he gave me more patience than I deserve. So I, I gave him a hard time in the, in the beginning for sure. So, and I mean, he will tell you that. So that's not no secret, but you know, just like belief. And like, I think a lot of guys, you know, want that instant like gratification it's like, it's not faith. It's like, they want, show me, like, show me why or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you don't, but, you know, I think over my three years and particularly over the first two, you could see like the steps that were taking place and uh, the different sacrifices that were made for the team. And, you know, like it's hard to, it's hard to not, play as hard as you can for a guy that only cares about winning. I mean, he'll tell you there's no moral victories. It's, it's about winning and it's about competing. So I told a lot of the young guys at one point that, you know, very easy guy to play for. If you give him everything you have, like if, if you don't like, you're not going to have a good time. And I mean, there's, there's levels to that, but you know, for me, it just boils down to, you know, if you play hard and you, you know, love your teammates and love your coaches He's the guy for you. 
it's it's going to be like a, a stiffer stiffer form of coaching than uh, you, you you might see on uh, some of these highlight tapes or whatever. But you know, I, I see those clips of Nick Saban yelling on the sidelines at LSU, and I, I've been the player that he's been yelling that he's yelling at. So you know, and he he just calluses you up. He makes you tougher. You know, soft, soft doesn't last long. Pretty doesn't last long. You know, when pretty meets gritty, it gets ugly, and it's it's pretty gritty at UL. So, I, I also think too, he just knows the guys he wants, so he knows who to recruit and who not to recruit from a personality standpoint and a personnel standpoint. One of the big big tricks for like staying competitive with the mid majors is getting older position players. Like you have to have older guys and retain them because um, you're typically not getting and you know like. Uh, DeBarge is like the exception, but you're typically not getting, you know, like the plug and play 18 year old that's going to hold down shortstop every game. And every, I mean, no schools for the most part getting a whole lineup of plug and play freshmen. Now the transfer portal like complicates that, but in terms of like roster building, he kept around a lot of the position players from the beginning, the first two years while adding like some immediate bats, some plug and play guys from Juco you know, Coach Wells and Coach Tibb played a part in all the recruiting, I'm sure. But he just – he knows, like, the guys and what he's trying to do. And these last couple of years, he's started to have, like, the right personnel to pull it off. Because there's, there's kids that will have success in college baseball that will not have success for the pack. And that's just, like, the, the truth. Um, so he's – he has, like, that narrow focus on the kids he wants – and the kids that are going to help him build and win games. So, you know, easy. I mean, as a guy that, you know, came from like the ashes of, I mean, the beginning of Coach Deggs at UL to now, like it's definitely been built slowly in the right way. And, you know, the guys that are there are the guys that should be there. So that's my whole take. No, I love it. I, I like it because I'm a firm believer in knowing what you want First of all, if you don't know what you want, you're, you're basically you're pissing in the wind. You got to know what kind of per- I I agree 100% with recruiting a personality, a type of person, type of guy um, over talent in, in a lot of ways, especially with the pack mentality, because it is the chemistry and the cohesiveness of a group. That's what's going to win you, especially at the mid-major level, like you said. Uh, to your point about freshmen, freshmen that can come in and play, we've been lucky. I mean, we had Cantrell, who you probably knew a little bit. We had. Well, DeBarge is, uh, I think it's D1 Baseball's number one prospect in the Sunbelt Conference for, uh, as he projects as a 2024 draft uh, draft eligible, what is he going to be, a redshirt sophomore? No, he'll be a junior in 2024. So between them and then Blake Trahan, obviously, in, in 20, or Trahan, excuse me, in 2014. And we've had a decent run with those guys. But everything else you said is is absolutely spot on with regard to ready-made guys that can step in, swing the bat, play some defense for you. To follow up, I'll ask you this. Do players feel like, in front of the Teague, do you have a real advantage? We've always talked about the Teague really being that that extra push that players and teams needed uh, through the years. Is that a real thing? Do you get do you get energized on a Friday night in the Teague? Is that something that's, that's a real thing, or is that a myth? Oh, that's a real thing. Yeah. I saw the, like, the top 15 in attendance again, that stat that came out. 
again, like I try to explain it to my friends up here. They, they don't get it. I got, you know, so I have some big, big 10 friends that played and, you know, like there's, it's, it's parents and more parents at, you know, the first month of the games. And down here, it's everybody at the vast majority of the games. So it's just different. Um, the sporting culture is different down there than up here. Louisiana fans like white knuckle their teams. They don't let go like the, you can be bad. They don't let go. And when you're good, they like, they hold on even tighter. So, you know, I think it was a huge advantage. You know, you have Tim Perrin. He, I can, you can hear him while you're hitting. He's yelling at you. And it's, he, he's, I mean, you guys go to the games. Like there's just, it's a family friendly place. There's still alcohol being served. It's, you know, it's Cajun baseball. Like you're there to have fun. It's a good time. The fans are great. The players interact with the fans. It's great. It's a great place to, you know, take the kids, take the, the wife, whatever. And an even better place to play, you know, all the, all the traditions, you know, the videos, all that stuff, like the, even like the new outfield wall, the first, so that was Coach Dyke's first year, and the scoreboard and all that stuff. Like it's a, it's a coliseum. They don't, they don't have those up here for baseball, I'll tell you that. So, And, you know, like the players, we all feed off that energy, especially the night games. I, I mean, those are the most fun. I wish we played all our games at night, but that's I'm a night owl, so that's just me. But... You know, I never really, I never really thought about it that way. You know, you got the Teague is a family-friendly environment, but you still have half the stadium giving every player that walks on the field a business. I never, I never really stopped to think about that. It's not, it's, it's it's good, it's good nature, friendly. Yeah, and I think like that gets lost, especially in the SEC where it's just hostile. Not even baseball, but like football and all the other sports. you know, it's baseball. You're going to get razzed if you're on the away team. Like we would get it on the road too. you know, like it's, there's lines you don't cross and like, they're usually not crossed at the Teague. So, but just, it's a special place to play. Like, I mean, and you guys only get to see like the fraction of the games. So you don't get to see the rest of the time spent on there, but a lot of like blood, sweat and tears have been on that turf for me and from everybody. So you can just like feel the, I mean, you walk through the the concourse before the game and you see all the the banners and you see all the, you know, the pro guys in the locker room, the posters and all that stuff. And you realize that, you know, Coach Robe and the guys he brought in and, you know, the community helped put this place together, put it on the map. Um, and I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was, but I do, like I, growing up, I remembered the year that you guys had the number one team. And as, as the, you know, middle schooler from Wisconsin, you don't, you don't know about the raging Cajuns yet, but just a special place. One of the things coach Degg said at one of his interviews is like a little hidden jewel down here in the South. And I, I couldn't agree with him more, you know, a special place to play. And you know, that, that turf melts the other team when it gets hot later in the year. So just a, a cathedral. So aside from playing baseball at the team, that experience that you talked about, the atmosphere and everything, what was your favorite memory or experience about playing in Lafayette, Louisiana? I, I, I like the Sundays after, after the win with all the kids. That's fun. 
Because, I mean, everyone, every kid on our team, and, you know, you can call me a liar, but every kid on our team was one of those little kids at some point. And, like, you know, they don't know better. Like, they emulate you. So, you know, that's special. All the community outreach stuff. And, you know, like, for me, you know, going to Coach Tibbs' daughter's class, you know, help them just be, you know, be the baseball kids that show up for career day or whatever. Like, stuff like that matters, you know, to the team and to the community. So I'd say stuff like that. Baseball-wise, I mean, I, I got a bunch. So, some, like, you guys won't even know about, but, the, like, the walk-off against um, UTA was cool. Opening weekend against UCI. I don't know, some of the games that are, like, this is going to sound bad to say, but some of the games are the ones you don't win that you remember, but you realize, like, after the fact, they're pretty fun to play in. So some of those like Texas State ones this last year were just like good baseball games. We just didn't win them. Awesome baseball game. Like, you know, and, and I'm with you on that. As a fan, you want to win. But you're sitting on the couch and I'm I'm throwing baseballs off the wall, like running around in circles. You know, when Jew hits the home run, I think it was the Saturday game. We went back to back. I don't remember who hit the home run. Who was hitting in front of Julian? Keith. Maybe we go back to back and we bring it back to like six to four. And I thought, oh man, we're going to railroad these guys. That ended up being one of the greatest college baseball games of the season. It was just a lot of fun. We lost the game, but entertainment value wise and just quality college baseball, it's up there. It was one of the best games I've seen. Yeah. I think some other ones from last year that aren't talked about are the Georgia state ones that were not in the tournament. So the ones at home, those were pretty good games. You know, they, they had a good team, but those were good games that we, we got a chance to win. Even some of the other ones, like, historically on the losing end, like Mississippi State, the 21-year, we lost, like, 4-2, to two, I think, but that was a pretty good game. Uh, LSU this last season was pr- a pretty good game. Those Southern Miss ones, all of them, like they're still they're good games. They're they're fun to play in those. It's not fun playing, you know, like when you know who's going to win in the beginning. Um, but I think that just speaks to the the health of the conference and how strong we're. I mean, you, when you consider we had four teams in in the regionals last year, that just that speaks to how healthy this conference is and how competitive week in and week out. I mean, it doesn't matter with the exception of like freaking ULM who we own them and everything, but with the exception of them, like every week is going to be a battle. So that just speaks to the strength of, of the conference as a whole, right? Oh yeah. I think um, a big part of that's a transfer portal. You know, these, these big blue chip guys can come to these lesser schools and, you know, be the guy after, you know, whatever happened at their old school. Um, And I think you saw the reverse of that with the guy at Tennessee that was at Georgia Southern. The Dolander, that guy's good. I mean, right? Like, there's there's innings everywhere, and, like, a big part of it's, like, the pitching. And, like, this year in the conference and some of the non-conference was some of the better pitching that I had seen just over the – I mean, it keeps – you think, like, the competition keeps getting better, but, like, this final year was, like, a bigger jump. Just because, right, like, the deck gets reshuffled and, like, the pitcher's – Cream rises to the top. They're, you're not going to get recruited thrown thrown slow. So, but yeah, like that that Southern Miss series this year, they threw like their like all time leading wins guy on Friday, 
And then they threw a guy that was throwing like 98, 100 the second day. And then the third day was now like the number three pitching prospect. He's at Florida. And like, that's, that's good ball. Like those are good arms. And I mean, I know that now they're in our conference. I know James Madison had a, a lefty hitter that was like a big, a big time prospect. I don't think he's there anymore now, but it's an exciting time to be in the, in the belt, especially from the baseball side, you know, football, I, I know less about, I'll be honest, but from a baseball perspective, like all of those schools that were added and the teams that remain all are not, you know, they're not gimmies. There's not a whole lot of gimmies in the conference and there's not a whole lot of gimmies on the non-conference schedule in Louisiana. So and I'll tell you, man, that, that is across pretty much all sports. I mean, when you look at football, basketball, softball, I mean, James Madison made it to the, the women's college world series. It's strong across all major sports, but you were alluding to Southern Miss and how great we had those games were this year. And those, they punked us the year before I'm starting to hate Southern Miss. And I look, I was from the day I told you I'm old, man. I might not look old, but I'm old. So I remember the South Alabama brawls between the teams and, and bench clearing and, and players throwing bats at each other and stuff. So I hated South Alabama. That's kind of, you know, gone away over the, the course of a few years. Southern Miss, I'm starting to really hate because the fans are annoying. God love them. Their, their players are punks. So I'm starting to really hate Southern Miss and they're good. And that's really the epitome of it. They're competitive. They're good. They kick our butts and, and it pisses me off. So look, all of us who are on this podcast all agree. We feel like we need more hatred in sports. You're a laid back guy. And this is the first time I've, I've gotten to speak with you. You're, you're so freaking nice, but as a team, w- was there any weekend series or one team or, you know, was it LSU? Was it Southern Miss? Was it South Alabama that you guys in, you know, together really just despised and, and had that little bit of extra something that weekend that you were playing them? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. L- LSU is always the big one right now. And like, it should be from not only just like a glamour standpoint, but from like the, the, uh, the RPI, like it's it's a big game for us. It's a bigger game for us than them. Like we get it. You know, some of those around Louisiana, we did not like Tulane. I'll leave it at that for them. Southern Miss was another one where like, so Southern Miss's thing, like they're a good team. It got a little out of hand the first year, so so twenty one. Yeah, the whole the whole Dirk thing, right? That yeah. night. Yeah. So, I mean, we had though, we had that series and then we kind of talked about it as a team, like, you know, here's what happened last year. Like, let's, let's take some steps to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I think at one point in that series, they, one of their base runners cleated Rocco at first and like, right. Not good. And their their big first baseman, forget his name. I should remember it. He hit like fifth for them and he was, he was pretty good. He came over to somebody later and said, like, hey, we sat that guy down and told him, like, you don't do that. You know, like, that's not us. Like, don't think that we did that. So, I mean, you have respect for those guys if they're going to come over and tell you that. And they're good. I mean, you want to play against the good teams. So, I mean, rivalry like that. The, the South Al one, yes. And I do have a funny story about South Al. But 
Um, you know, you see like the the Papa Ramos brawl, and like I feel like the players kind of know, like, yeah, it's probably not going to get to that point without like you know something bad happening. So, you know, we went down there and did not play well uh, in twenty one. But in 22, I think we took two out of three from them at home. But, I mean, they're another good club. They're nice guys. Like, there's, it's hard to, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but in baseball, it's hard to, like, hate the other guy just because, like, you're not in football pads trying to, like, crown him with your helmet, you know? Um, you know, like, there's a lot of downtime, too. Like, you're spending a lot of time at the field. Like, you have friends that know guys or whatever. I mean, the the team they're probably going to try to get back this year is going to be Texas State or Southern Miss at the end. But I'm trying to think like the other like big hyped up games, there wasn't like a whole. And again, like you try to tune that out when you're on the team, and like I I can look back and reflect now. But yeah, I'd say like those are probably the biggest ones. So the South Al story, the first year or the second year, so twenty one. We drive to South Al and we get there Thursday night. And I think I think Coach Doe was on this trip, so he can he can tell you about this ac- the accuracy of the story. Was that was that the series that it rained for like days and we got pushed back and everything? And we played late yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah, we were yeah. there too. Okay, so on Thursday we get there, and they, you know they let you practice on their field that night. So you drive all day, you get to the field, you you practice or whatever. And they're like, hey, you guys, you're more than welcome to use the field, but when you leave, put the tarp on. So, like, tarp pull is, like, the worst activity that you can imagine for a baseball team. So, like, I mean, I, I got the bad back, so I'm just, I'm supervising. So we get we get it all down, and, like, the, the nails go in the corners, and the, the tires get rolled on. We all grab our stuff to start walking back to the bus, and one of the guys on the team can't find his phone. It wasn't a coach, so like everyone's like, "Okay, like we probably like we can go home, but we should probably find this guy's phone." So we look, we like pull the tarp up. There's guys like army crawling under the tarp, and it's like another hour at this point. It starts raining, and we're like, "Hey, man, like sorry, like I guess your phone's gone." And the whole time it was on the bus in his seat. So no names, right? We're not mentioning no, names, no today. names, but they know who they are. They know who they are. And I, I'm not sure if they're, I don't know what they're doing now. So I'll leave it at that. Team Mick at it again. <laughs> not him. I don't, he, he didn't make that trip. He had to work. That's fantastic. I was going to make you tell us a Borgonio story from the road, but the South Alabama story will suffice. I gotcha. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kemp, when you look at the roster, you look at the schedule, I know you said you don't really know many of the new guys, and I know we're going to have some guys that are going to contribute on the mound that none of us are really familiar with. Uh, we got old Miss transfer. We got uh, Florida State transfer. Actually pretty highly thought of with regard to their talent and how much they're expected to produce for the Cajuns. But as far as the guys that you know, what do you expect from the 2023 Cajuns? I know you'll probably be following, and I, I feel like our our players that move on, they still stay connected to the program in a pretty significant way. So uh, I know that you have some invested uh, time and effort into 2023, uh, just like these guys do. 
how do you feel the 2023 team is able to accomplish goals and how do you feel how do you see it playing out i know the schedule is what it is and i don't know if you've had a, a real chance to study it but the the out of the out of conference is a little bit i'm not gonna say weaker but it's it doesn't have those programs that you fear as much as you know look byu is a household name but they're not tcu Right. So I think the out of conference kind of sets up for a team that's trying to find themselves in 2023 from a pitching standpoint. Uh, do you feel similar? And, and what do you think about the coming year? Yeah. So I, th- I think a lot of the times the scheduling is, is hard. You know, you're scheduling however many years out and it's like a, it's like a futures bet. Like you're hoping, you know, in six years, this guy's RPI is competitive or whatever. Like, so we played Irvine at home, and I think in a year or two, they're going to go to Irvine. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything for anybody, but they're going there. So, right, like, it's a home and home, just like football, but it's, you know, years in advance. So, right, like, so we're, we're big Irvine fans when we don't play them for, like, the next four or five years because you go out there to, like, help your RPI or whatnot. The returning guys, right, you got, so you got DeBarge, you know, cornerstone piece. You got Julian Brock, like even maybe a bigger cornerstone piece, mainly because of the position. Like they're both awesome. But when you start coaching youth baseball, you realize it's it's hard to win when you don't have a good catcher. So I mean you got you got Julian back there, he's gonna lock it down. You got Rock, who I think is in the outfield now, but he can play anywhere or left he can play. Um, you know, awesome. So those three, you got CJ Willis coming back. You got Heath Hood, like the most underrated player probably on the team. He had some big hits. He did not get a lot of praise, but he, or he, I mean, he did internally, but he did not get a whole lot of love, but I got some love for Heath. Well, look, he got plenty of love here. We talked about Heath all the time. Down the stretch, at the end, especially like the, the back third of the season and into the postseason, that guy was unfreaking believable. Yeah. He's a guy, and I mean, a big part of it is like the, the adjustment to the pitching. It's different. Let me ask you this, Kemp. Who goes better oppo than Heath Hood on the team? Because in my view, that guy hits oppo better than anybody. Me. <laughs> well, you're you graduate. <laughs> I know. I don't I don't know. Uh maybe Rock. Rock like so Rock when he wants to hit the ball the other way, he does. He's like he's that guy. I don't know. I mean I I wish I knew. I wish I got to see every practice they had, but I don't know. DeVars can go the other way pretty good, too. I'm trying to think of other returners that are coming back. I should I should pull up the roster. You got C.J. Willis. He's primed for a, a good year. I agree with that. You think they'll put him at first if, if Zombo doesn't nail it down? And what do you think of Zombo? I, lo- I love him. I think he looks like a great teammate, but during the fall uh, and, then in, and also the summer, he looked awesome at the plate. Yeah, he, first off, great teammate. Great teammate. Um, you know, a lot of freshmen, it's me, me, me. Like I want to play now. So not only did he not play, but he had to watch DeBarge play short the whole year. You know, like his, the guy that lives across the hall or lives with him or whatever, like it's hard. Um, but no, like his, towards the end of last year, you know, you don't want to throw in like the raw freshman right away to, to something like that. But in practice, you could see him really like starting to, figure it out and like grow into grow into his frame a little bit. He's kind of like a, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but like, it looks like he grew like later. So like his, his frame is still like, he's still getting that coordination like all the way there. And like, he's a big body. So it's going to take time and reps or whatnot, but 
sky's the limit for him. CJ is kind of that spark plug. He can play a lot of places. They can do that hot shot stuff where they switch the third baseman and the second baseman or whatnot. You know, he, he can fill a hole and he can give you like doubles off the bench. I guess he keeps, he keeps doing that. You got Blake Marshall. You got David Christie. Blake is my dude, man. I, I hate that he kept getting injured. I, we haven't had a powered lefty since Hogan Harris. I, I don't know if he's going to factor in. I don't know if he's going to go long innings. I don't know how healthy he is. I've seen him a couple of times over the last few weeks. He seems to think that he's going to pitch and, and pitch a lot. I hope he gets the opportunity because I think Blake is super talented. Yeah, I think he's one of those. Uh, he's like a, he's a niche arm. You know, you can ask him to do a lot, but what he's really good at is that two or three out spot where here comes the two lefties. And like, you know, don't give the righty a cookie. Um, and, you know, every, every team in the country needs that guy, the, le- the lefty stopper. Again, I don't know, you know, where his like pitch volume's at or if they're going to try to, you know, make him a long relief guy or they don't have a, a role for him yet. But, you know, it's, it's good stuff. He's one of those guys where it's a lot of effort. So once we get past 20, 30 pitches, there's some fall off. And, you know, this, again, this is from last fall when he was battling injury too. So I think he's primed for a good year. David Christie, another guy where, you know, he th- he's thrown some meaningful innings. Max Marshak, the most athletic man in, in America. He'll be back. I know he had the, the hamstring at the end of the last year. Peyton Lejeune, I, he, was the, at, he was part of the first Coach Deggs team. Um, and then he got – he decided to go to junior college and I think he's the, the nephew of coach Tibb, but you know, now he's back. He had like the best career you could ask for at um, Eunice. And now, you know, I saw him hit a home run. I think in the, saw him on Facebook, hit a home run from somebody's cell phone video in the scrimmage yesterday. So, Oh yeah. He hit a bomb in the left field. Uh, I think that he fits the the protege, the type of player that Matt wants, Matt Deggs wants. He's that typical guy. Like he fits all that. And I really like John Taylor also. I you, I don't know if you know anything about JT, but they both it's going to be one of the more interesting battles position-wise cuz obviously they're going to they have third base lockdown. It's going to be one of those two guys. Whether it's JT or Peyton Lejeune, I think we're in great hands. Yeah, I mean you know, everyone, everyone gets their shots at the beginning of the year. Like the, you guys know more than everybody, like the lineup's never the same. So we'll see. And I mean, the, the part about playing time too is like, it's, you know, I mean, he writes the lineup, but like you kind of dictate your own playing time. Like if you are having good at bats or making good plays, like it's hard to take you out of there. Hammond, like, you know, another great like back end arm. Well, He's apparently they're figuring him into the weekend rotation right now. So he's. Really? He could. He's got good stuff. He does. Um, I I wonder this though, and this is no knock on Hammond because I love Preach. I think he's a he's a guy that can win you ball games. What we saw was uh, high end usage. His numbers would fall off second, third time around, or if he would be used on a Friday, Saturday, or a Friday, Sunday. Is that something that they worked with him on? Is that something? Is that conditioning? If there's any concern, how do you how do you how do you remedy that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you want to go with the hot hand, um, which was him for a couple weeks, right? Um, but you don't want to overuse and then, you know, like make useless by the end of it. To like a stamina thing, 
Probably not. I mean, everyone's going to be worse if they throw three days in a row. And like he's he's got good enough stuff, and he had like his flash good enough command to where he can get around, you know, like a velo, like dip or whatever. But he's also like incredibly strong, incredibly fit, takes care of his body. Um, so the process of him being like a starter would probably be easier than the flip, or what, I mean, or something else. But I mean, that guy's that guy's a house. Like that's the starter frame you like. You don't. I mean, you don't typically think like the high, the higher velo, like cutter guy as the starter. But he's got enough good stuff to where he can do that. And I mean, he he showed that last year. I mean, let me let me look through. We got Van. Van's going to be good. We got Lafleur. If he's healthy, he's going to be really good. We got Cooper. By the way, I want to ask you a quick question, and this is off topic, but. As you're looking through the roster, Carson Fluno, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Any connection there? I know we had years back, we had two guys from Canada. They knew each other, so that's how we ended up here. Do you have any connection to him whatsoever? I'm gonna, let me click on his profile and look. Okay, that'll tell me no. All it's, right, thank you. No, it's Moving perfect. On. People from Louisiana think that if you if they hear the same state or the same country, these people know each other. That's just how to... Well, I mean, it's <laughs> relatively close to where he's at, so I'm just saying. Hey, I by just, the way, yeah, highly so, thought of, too. So he, so just based on what I read, which was like the previous schools or whatever, so he went to Madison Community College, which is in Madison, Wisconsin. It's like, it's the best... It's probably the best JUCO in Wisconsin. They 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 would fly out to Arizona and play us um, in the spring when I was out there for JUCO. So good baseball. He went to Sun Prairie, which is around I think Madison. So that's like an, that's like an hour and a half away. But I mean, if you're if you're, he's an arm, so like Madison College is a big pitching school. So he's probably he's probably twenty one. So I've I've aged out of most of the the younger guys in co- in college baseball now they're, they're bef- before my time but I don't know maybe I'll maybe I'll reach out to him those Wisconsin guys got to stick together and so, you got to recommend the best boudin for him to eat right <laughs> yeah oh I don't want to start a controversy what's the what's what are the what are the main ones in uh, Lafayette. So Nick Nick's been out of town for a while. They have some. There's a couple of new guys that have kind of taken the block over. Uh, I still, well, shit. I don't want to get it started. I don't want to make anybody mad. Nick, what's what's the big one? What's the one that who? Okay. So when you come into town, who who do your friends back in Houston request? There are the big three. There are Best Stop, which is I mean my friends own Best Stop, so I'm always gonna kind of go toward that. Then they've got Don's, which is. A little too much liver for me, but you know, it's good. Then you got new news, which I think is the best, but most people rank them third. And then Karshner's, is that, is that how you pronounce it? They're like, Kostner's. yeah, whatever they are. They're Don, really, really good. I think Don's is like the Betty White of Boudin. Like at one time it was the greatest thing ever, but it's, it's fallen off. It's not relevant you. anymore. I'm with you. Look, new news has got my vote as number one, but Damon, uh, if you're listening owner, Hey, love you, man. Official sponsors of UL, not saying, but look, yeah, new news, they good. New news is good. I'm a, I like Billy's. I think Billy's stands that's, the test of time, man. How can I forget yeah. Billy's, man? Billy's. And the cracklings of Billy's are always warm. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. I like the warm crackling. 
Well, Kemp, listen, man, it's it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Uh, we'll take we'll ask one more, and then we'll let you run. Wait, first, can we do two more? Because I've got an off the wall question I want to ask after yours, like not baseball related whatsoever. All right, we'll do one more baseball one, and then Nick, you can you sell it. Uh, Kemp, the player, has turned into Kemp, the coach. How has that uh, affected your life? And I'm not talking about just on the field. I'm talking about, you know, I, I never thought that I would be in a, in a coaching capacity of any kind, but I got voluntold by my wife that I had to. Uh, touchy subject. Let's move on. Uh, but it's been great, man. The rewards of being involved in people's lives and, and teaching them and watching them grow and spending inordinate amount of time with sh- pretty much complete strangers and then really getting to know them and all that stuff. On the field, it's great, but even off the field, there's so many things that coaches experience through just teaching. What's it been like for you so far? It's been fun. I get to, I get to work with a lot of the kids I grew up playing with, a lot of the guys. So, uh, like one of them, he's still playing, but like Griffin Dorshing, he was on Oklahoma State last year. He's the guy that looks like a Viking. If I'm, well, he sounds like a Viking. Yeah. I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, so him and a couple other guys that played in college are all in this this one facility, and it's run by a guy that I played travel ball for growing up. So, like, great great group of guys to do the travel ball stuff. I had a little experience going into it from the COVID shutdown. I picked up a team, like, really late. I had a group of 16-year-olds. Coached them for, like, 30 games. They we won, we won some games, so it was fun. And I mean, like selfishly, like you want to you want to drive home with a win, but like it's, they're sixteen, so you can't. What are you gonna do? But you yeah. you want to teach love of the game, right? You're still even at sixteen, you're still fostering love of the game. That's the most important thing. You want them to keep wanting to play. Oh yeah, and I mean, right? Like not my my whole thing is you know every kid's not going to be a rod. You know, every kid is not going to be as good as a player on UL. Every kid is not going to be, you know, the high school star. Like, it's fine. But, you know, like, we got to lay that foundation of, you know, like, we need to work hard. You know, why? So we get not what everybody else gets, right? Just stuff like that. And, you know, helping these, like, young kids, you know, like, reframe, like, how they think about stuff or, you know, reprioritize what they're doing to help them get from A to B. But right, like for me, really, really easy job. And I say that not from like a lack of work standpoint, but like I care. So it's it's hard for me to like do a bad job, if that makes sense. Because, I, you know, I want what's best for them. Um, some of them don't like when I tell them what's not best for them. But teach their own. And I mean, I, I try to tell the truth, but I also recognize that not every kid can you know, take that tough conversation and it's a lot about how you say it and all that stuff. But, you know, I've had fun. Um, if I didn't feel like I had more to give, I wouldn't, I wouldn't coach, but you know, I know that I wouldn't have gotten to where I got without my coaches, not only at UL, but at JUCO high school everywhere. So, you know, it's, I'm in a unique spot where I get to try to be that guy for the next group. So it's fun. Like the, it's a very like macho, almost UL esque like atmosphere. So like everyone's there trying to get better. Like we're, you know, you're you're giving a guy a hard time when he doesn't. 
but he's not, you know, pouting. He's like, he's working harder. Right. And right. And then like another, another aspect is all of the mistakes they are going to make. Like I've made a hundred more of them and worse. And like my, my go-to is that pop fly dropped at LSU the second year when we just, that eight run inning. Yeah. So that's like my, like, you know, I feel small moment. And it's like, I did this against LSU. Like we're indoors right now and we're trying to field ground balls. Like it's okay. Like we just need to like reframe this and, I got I to gotta tell you this. So, Catherine and I go to the game. We always go to the LSU game. And this was before we met you and everything. This was way before all that. And she says, uh, I was talking you up. Because I had I had talked to Deggs at one of the uh, Diamond Club dinners and he said, or lunches, and he said, keep your eye out on this kid, Connor Kemple, blah, 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 blah. So, I started following you a little more. And I just, I love the way you do things. And we're sitting in the stands and you dropped the ball. And she goes, I thought you said he was good. <laughs> I swear I swear he is just it's just he got lost in the lights I don't know I don't know what happened we don't we don't have to talk about it anymore <laughs> no let's move on no but no now I can I mean now I can look back and laugh like who cares these kids a lot of them like they don't want to be you know embarrassed in front of you know their teammates and who cares like that's one of the special things about UL is like, you're going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. And like, you're going to, you're just going to be like exposed to everybody at some point. Like, it's not, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's just like, it's, it's coming. Like you're going to get your, your feathers ruffled. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Like you're going to have to deal with it. So some of, some of my guys are there. Some of them aren't there yet, but we'll get there. I mean, it's, it's just fun. Like I get to go sit in a dugout and coach kids. Like it's, it's not very hard. I understand. Nick, you're off the wall question. It's all yours. All right. Manitowoc, Wisconsin, right down the road from where you're at. Making a murderer. Stephen Avery. <laughs> is he a murderer? What What are your thoughts? Did he do it or did he not? So I, I've seen the first season. And I saw about half of the second one. And I, I just lost interest. Like it's, <laughs> Most it's people bad, did. <laughs> it's bad to say, but. Like how many how many episodes can we stretch out of this guy's like legal process? You know, I mean, then, <laughs> like you see some of the evidence, and then I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a true crime guy, but like some of the evidence is just like he he probably did it, but then some of it's like he wasn't even there, and like I mean, you know, like when the wheels of justice start going, like they're hard to undo. So I mean, he is he still in jail? Yes, oh yeah, he's, he's not getting out. He's if guilty he's as shit. In there, I hope he did do it. He's, no, Josh, we're gonna take this off because he did, did not do. You can't tell me the guy was innocent and now he's guilty. Listen, like, oh, I'm off. Here, I didn't kill her. Now I'm gonna kill somebody else. Here's yeah, the thing, on, man. Where they where they had me where they had me believing, okay, that he was innocent was the episode where the DNA or the blood evidence got opened and then it got closed back and when they went to investigate it, the seal had been broken and they were like. How could that even be possible? That is that's admissible in court. How could they overlook that? And then you read all the reports about how it was completely made up and it was fabricated. And it's like, dude, look, I don't know what's going on in Manitowoc. If I said that properly, I don't know what's going on. Is it is it a is it a goofy place, Kemp? Like, is is it one of those places where weird stuff happens? Is it is it a small town where people have incompetent judges and stuff like that? I, let me let me look this up real quick and see exactly where we're talking about. I mean, before I say something, 
Now I never saw season two. I heard it was horrible. I it mean, wasn't great. The show they could have been four episodes. Yeah, they tried to stretch it out. They could have they could have done it one, two, three, four episodes and be done with it, but they stretched it out into twelve, and then it's still going on. I really didn't appreciate that because when I I'm not a big binge watcher, but that was one of the ones that I binge watched, and that was a four a.m. night. And at the end of it, you were like, "What? No way!" If I if I remember correctly, there's like a map they show. It's like him driving to the supermarket and like that map just, he couldn't have done it cause he was there. And then all of the evidence said he did it. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not a judge. So I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. But. Well, well that, and then, you know, some of the footage from the courtroom was pretty bad, but they, they said that the, the documentary maker had totally left out tons of evidence like purposely to make this show interesting to the mass public. Well, of course. Which is of course, yeah, it's part of the deal, right? But some some of the evidence was like, you know, this guy had a past of he had some some stuff on his criminal record that made him very very obviously a, yeah. 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 I don't know, well, man. That's approaching like what I would consider up north Wisconsin. Um, some more rural and less less city folk. I'll say that. I am more scared of rural communities than I am New York City. I'm telling you, more weird shit goes on in places that are kind of left to be forgotten. You know, we have a lot of that here in Louisiana, Nick. It's yeah, it's a lot it's a little bit different up here just because of the weather. Like I mean, you guys can find a field to do whatever you want there at pretty much whatever time of the year. That's true. Like down here, it's like some of these places you can't even get to when like the snow comes. Like the the outdoorsman in Louisiana is a little bit different than the outdoorsman up here. You, I mean, you guys know that, but who are, who are the media guys? The voice? George Faust, maybe he would ask like a word. Jay, Jay, and who's the guy that interviews Coach Daggs on the field? Topham. Top, right? yep. But I mean, between us, Topham every every time I saw him, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin was brought up every single time. Look, Dan McDonald on the on the stream. Literally, every time you were on camera, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. He's coming from Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Every time you mentioned make, it, they make it, it awesome. Like it's just like this little like hut, like out on the ice. The like, North Pole. I'm drilled a hole down, and I'm getting my dinner. And it's like we're just ten minutes outside of Milwaukee, like right there. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. No, we even had a, a Twitter troll. That said, they were they were trolling the the Raging Review account, and they they said they were from Whitefish Bay. <laughs> no, my my friends up here think it's funny that like you, I mean, this little group of people has like clicked on the Whitefish Bay, like they'll. It's funny, dude. You're the torchbearer, man. <laughs> all right, mm-hmm. folks, we're gonna let Kent run because he's been awesome with his time. We really appreciate all the insight. It was a lot of fun to hang out, man. I know you're going to continue to follow the program because sounds like it's in your blood. Kind of like it is to uh, the rest of us and why we hang on for 20, 30 years. But anyway, Kemp, it's been fun, man. Uh, Maybe we can hook up later. Maybe do a mid-season update or something. Keep coaching those kids. Give them the business. We don't need any softies in the sport. Make them tough, baby. I'm giving them the full tax system. That's awesome. They don't know what's coming. Connor Kimple, Ragin' Cajun baseball player. A good one.
Thanks for joining us, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuff. Thanks for thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Kemp, dude, it's been great, dude. And we appreciate everything you did while you were a Raging Cajun and, and beyond. Thanks for doing everything you did in the community. All that stuff. We always love to hear from players. Yep, I appreciate you guys pushing the brand across the land. <laughs> My man. <laughs> all right, Kemp, be good.